I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. Today on What's Next, we'll be hearing a panel discussion held in October when Buffalo Toronto Public Media offered a screening of the documentary The Niagara Movement, The Early Battle for Civil Rights. After the screening, Buffalo Toronto Public Media's Vice President of Original Content Creation, Lynn Bader, served as a moderator for a panel discussion. On that panel was the film's director, the Emmy Award-winning and two-time Oscar-nominated producer, Lawrence Hott, and Professor of Sociology and African American Studies at Northwestern University, Dr. Alden Morris. Here is the in-depth discussion about the documentary and much more. Good afternoon. I'm Lynn Bader, Vice President of Original Content Creation, and I would like to welcome to the stage Dr. Alden Morris and uh, Emmy Award-winning and two-time Oscar-nominated producer and director Larry Hott, our good friend Larry Hott. Dr. Morris, you're a professor of sociology at Northwestern, correct? Great. And um, it, it's my pleasure to sit here and have a conversation with these two gentlemen. Um, it's going to be engaging. You're going to learn a lot about the making of this film. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about issues that are happening right now in 2023 and how this uh, film is particularly relevant right now. Um, I did want to make sure that everybody knows that uh, the local premiere of this documentary is November 6th at 9 p.m. So please share that information with your family and your friends and the people in the community. Um, you get the sneak peek, which is fantastic. Um, I'm, I know from being a producer myself, Larry, that some of the first questions are, how in the world this thing took a couple of years to put together? Um, so what was that like for you to take on the subject of the Niagara Movement? I'm going to acknowledge the elephant in the room. You are a, a, a white man. Um, yes, go ahead. That's on. Yeah, the, uh, the white elephant in the room. The white elephant in the room. Yes, the white elephant in the room. And uh, in the green room, he said, old Jewish white man. But those were his words, not mine. <laughs> um, that must have been challenging for you. And how do you approach that? Oh, it was scary. It was scary because uh, identity politics are very powerful in the United States, all over the world. And I was afraid from the first moment of the criticism that we would all get. Mm. Uh, but I had done many films that I shouldn't have done by under those standards. <laughs> um, I had done uh, two films about uh, Native American issues, mm -hmm. for example. I did a major film about the deaf community, D-E-A-F community mm -hmm. and the battle over sign language versus cochlear implants. And I was questioned by all those communities. What was, what right did I have to do that? And there, there are many answers to that. And there, there's two, and you can decide whether they hold any weight or not. Uh, one is that I'm a very experienced producer and director, 
mm-hmm. and uh, people don't own subject matter. Uh, if you can put together a good program, you should be allowed to do it. Uh, but the counterpoint to that is that why aren't people who are part of that community doing it themselves and speaking for themselves? Nothing about us without us. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, my first question when I got the call from Dobe and ED is, you must have African-American producers who could do this. You should come to me first, even though I've been working with this station for 20 years. But apparently um, there are so many productions going on across the country right now that the people who have the experience, who know how to make a uh, program, were all booked. Not every single one, of course, but the ones that that WNED felt comfortable working with. And uh, they asked me and I said, okay, I will do it under one one condition that you will let me hire the best people I can to assist me and this is one of them sitting with me mm-hmm. here I mean it was the first person I, I went to um, and then I spoke to Alden about who else I should talk to and I got those people on board and then of course I wanted to have as, as uh, many African-Americans as possible in my crew uh, so that I had the advice of people working with me directly. Um, And then of course, when you make the, if you do the film and you're uh, showing it in what we call the focus group, um, you show it to your advisors and you take their their, uh, advice seriously. So that is the way of of handling it. And that, I guess I'm happy to talk to people more about that, but that I think is probably a pretty good answer to your question. Uh, and I would agree with that. I think that we do that on several of our productions. We're working on one right now where um, it's a wide group of people that we're telling stories about. And it's really important for us as producers to surround ourselves in front of and behind the camera with authentic representation and then to listen to those voices when when even on a shoot sometimes, right, they will say, hang on, I think you got, you're a little off the mark here. Um, and, and to be open to those conversations, even in that moment. Right. Right. So, uh, Dr. Morris, you got the call to participate in this film and you have spent much of your career really studying social movements, studying, uh, equality. Um, what is it like now for you to see this film finished and what are your reflections? You might want to move the mic a little closer to you. Well, first of all, um, I'm very, very pleased to be here uh, in Buffalo. It's my first time here. I'm very pleased to see all of you uh, to come out on a rainy Saturday, miss college football, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> uh, to look at a, a film on a 1905 uh, movement. And so that's very, very uh, pleasing to me. And uh, I hope that you all will carry the story uh, back to your communities and your families and so forth, because the Niagara movement played a very key role in shaping who we are today. Uh, On the issue of Larry uh, having made the film, uh, I wanna say I'm just happy that he did. Mm -hmm. I I think that it was a, a labor of love and I think that he put a lot of creativity Uh, energy and compassion into the film and that it shows up. And so I'm glad that we have this film on record. Having said that, uh, I would be remiss if I did not say that we need more uh, people of color 
and women and so forth in the industry and uh, and out front mm -hmm. and behind the camera and so on. So I don't think that those things are uh, <clears throat> at so much at odds. And so once again, I, I really uh, I thank uh, Larry uh, for doing this and for involving me. How do I feel about the, uh, being in the film? Um, it's a it's a it's a great honor. Um, I, I like was mentioned a, a minute ago. Um, I have studied social movements uh, in general. I have studied the black uh, struggles for freedom uh, historically. Uh, I knew in my first book, The Origins of the Civil Rights Movement, I talked about the Niagara Movement. And I've always known since I've been studying it that it was a foundational movement. And so I'm glad to see that we have this uh, visual record of the movement. Uh, I think it's always gratifying when someone asks you to be a part of something like this. Um, like everyone, I have an ego. I like seeing my image up on the screen and all of that. <laughs> but I think that far more importantly, um, I liked um, interacting uh, with the people who's, who's part of this film. I, I know many of them and so on. And so I think it's a, a, a work that's, uh, uh, that's well done. So let me stop there. But I, I just think it's a very uh, important uh, moment. There are a lot of people featured in the film from sort of all walks of life that have some kind of experience with the topic. Um, and so I have a production-related question, and then for Dr. Morris, I have an unproduction, non-production-related question. Larry, it's um, this idea actually began, and you all, I'm sure, don't know this, but uh, as an idea from our former president and CEO, Don Boswell, came to us and said, I think we should do something on the Niagara movement. I'd written a paper on the Niagara movement, and um, I just think it's, I think it's a great opportunity for us. And literally, this was, it, I would say, at least 15 years ago. 15 years ago. And at the time, we tried. We attempted to raise money to produce this film, and it just didn't stick. For whatever reason, a, um, a valiant effort was made to fund this film or this, this proposal at the time, and it just didn't happen. So... We know that we don't ever get rid of our ideas. We sort of stick them in a drawer and the research that we've done on them. And a few years ago, Don brought it back up again. I remember being at that meeting and he said, you know, I just, with everything that's going on in the country, I think Niagara Movement, maybe it was just the wrong time. And that was really the beginning of it all. Um, from start to finish, I know you had early conversations with Don and with John Grant and Dave Rotterman um, about this film, but these films don't get made always when the ideas are created. <laughs> um, for you, creating the crew, creating the method, the storyline, what kinds of creative input um, should we note from this film that was very purposeful for you? Biography is probably the backbone of documentary film. And why is that? Because when you have somebody, a life that has affected the course of the country, you can say something about our society through a, 
uh, somebody's life that gives you a beginning, middle, and end. This is where they were born, this is how they grew up, how they were educated, and this is what happened when they died. But what do you do when you have three people, three biographies in a, in a film? How do you weave them together? With, with it, very challenging relationships with each other. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, at least we had tension. Yeah. And you want you want that just to have a you know some, somebody is a, a great person and does a lot of work and nothing happens. It's it's not much of a story. Um, luckily, I had done another film that was very similar. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody here about this, but years ago I had I'd done a film called Wild by Law, uh, and it was about the three people whose lives and work. Read, led to the creation of the Wilderness Act. And it was Aldo Leopold, Bob, Bob Marshall, and Howard Zionizer. And I flashed on, what are we going to do with three biographies? How do, we, how do we do it? In that case, it was what we called a relay race because these guys were born at different times and they passed off the, the obligation. But here we had three people at the same time. And you might have noticed in this script that we basically tell the story three times. We start off with an introduction, a teaser that tells the story, then after the opening, we tell it again, and then we go back in time and bring us up to where we are. And this is a classic storytelling technique, is you start off people with the ending, and then you go back and say, how did we get there? And then you come to the ending again. So we had to deal with this basic rhetorical question. How do you present the material? How do you weave the lives together, and how do you do it in a way that holds people's attention? Um, I'll just finish with this, that a film is not an encyclopedia entry, or mm -hmm. it's not an illustrated Wikipedia entry, <laughs> modern reference. Uh, it's something other than that. It has to be an emotional, dramatic, visually entertaining, and visually different, right? And it has to catch you somewhere between your heart and your brain. And the challenge is all documentary filmmaking is to be entertaining and informative in the right balance. Because that's really the whole time, that's what you think about. Dr. Morris, so here we are. I talked a little bit about the timing of this film and how we all felt internally that it was very relevant um, to make sure that it was produced and it's out there in 2023, 2024. Um, how do you see the currents of the Niagara movement today? Well, I think um, it is very important, as we saw in the film, that the, the current movements um, do not come out of thin air. They are part of a historic freedom struggle. The movement for equality for black people started on slave ships. There were slaves who, uh, or people who were captured on those ships who decided that they would rather jump overboard into the mouths of sharks rather than to come here as slaves. And, and so that was the beginning of these historic freedom movements by black people. Um, the, um, and so the Niagara movement is part of this stream. The other thing I think is very important to say is that almost all of the major movements for change in the United States have been inspired by black movements. The um, abolitionist uh, movement gave rise to many other movements, including the women's suffrage movement. You look at the civil rights movement, how many movements that we get out of the civil rights movement. We got the modern women's movement. 
We got the disabilities movement. We got the anti-Vietnam movement and many, many other movements. And so because black people have been at the very bottom of the social order, experiencing all of the pain and suffering in a land that declared that they were the beacon of democracy, black people have shown the imperfections and the contradictions of our society. And so I think that what, it, what this means is that this is not a film just about black people. It's not a film about what black people should be doing now. It is a film about what all of us should be doing. And we see that in the NAACP and other movements that white people, all different sorts of people have been involved in movements. So I would say this, the legacy of the Niagara movement is this is that there exists great racial inequalities in America today. There exists great class inequalities in America today. There exists great gender inequality in America today. And so the issue, as I see it, the real issue is that what are we going to do about it that we are the inheritors of the legacies of all of these movements, including the Niagara movement and all those movements that I just spoke about. I don't think that we watch this film to celebrate black history in February. I think we watched this film to be informed about what was the struggle like then and how did they confront struggle and how did they make progress. Therefore, what, is our, what are we gonna do? What's gonna be our legacy 100 years from now? Will it be one in which we just sat back, we did nothing, or do we embrace the spirit that came out of the Niagara movement? Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I do want to open it up to the audience. We have a couple of folks here that have microphones, Lori and Sylvia. And so um, this is an opportunity for you to ask whatever is on your mind. Uh, to get insight to either the filmmaking um, or some of the issues and topics that we've been talking about so far. We have a question right here in front, blue hat. No, no, no. no hang on, we'll get you a microphone. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, I was, I'm interested to hear what Larry thinks about the movie uh, Free Renty, Lanier versus Harvard. It's a documentary on the owning of an image that was taken of a, a slave and hangs in the, um, can't remember the name of the Harvard-owned museum. Because early on in your comment, you said something about the ownership of, of the image. Oh, uh, I think I was referring to something else, but I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Okay. With that, with that, with that film. Wonderful movie, very enlightening as was today's. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. Another hand up, second row. It's really cold in here. It is cold in yeah, here. Yeah, you know, we have to now you need that. to contribute more money so they could pay for the heat. <laughs> <laughs> My name is uh, Dr. Darcel Holloway, Reverend Doctor, actually. And I worked 20 years with the Reverend Dr. Wyatt T. Walker. Uh, for those of you who don't know who that is, he was um, the chief strategist for the civil rights movement and also the executive director of um, the SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, 
and uh, his own business card, he died a few years ago. Uh, he said, former chief of staff for MLK. Um, having worked with him when I was going into the ministry and studying under James Cone, who's the father of black theology, uh, Dr. Cone and I at one time went to the same church, we were neighbors, and he was my professor. And uh, one of the things he talked about, I took a course with him when he wrote his book on Martin and Malcolm, and he talked about uh, the great man theory in history. Um, I was very happy to hear about Mr. Trotter. I've studied a lot of history and somehow I missed him. Mm. Um, but I rise today because I have in my heart uh, a longing to uh, have somebody chronicle what happened during the civil rights movement with people like Wyatt T. Walker. Um, I worked with him when uh, Nelson Mandela uh, was freed and came to Harlem. He came to our church. And uh, Dr. Walker went to South Africa to monitor the elections there. Mm -hmm. So there's so much history. Um, as I said, I, I grew up here in Buffalo, but I've been in New York City. Um, and I, there's so much local history that I know that people don't know. I just uh, want to know, are there more or have you even considered some other documentaries like to pick up where this left off? Thank you. I think that, that I'm glad that you spoke. Um, I think that that's the great thing about what we do here at Buffalo Toronto Public Media is there's no shortage of stories, right, that we want to tell. Uh, and similar to the short little video that you saw before the documentary, um, we are always looking for stories to tell, stories that haven't been told fully or maybe have never been told. Um, and so we are always open to that, and we welcome your thoughts and ideas in that vein. You know, we feel like this is a really important film because there hasn't been one done, we don't think, as well and about and as thoroughly uh, that brings the story of these three men together in the way that it does. Um, and so that that's absolutely what we do. We've got another question in the back. Dr. Morris, did you want to add anything? Yeah, to I, I really, yes, I do. Um, I uh, knew uh, Reverend Y.T. Walker. Uh, he was one of the first persons I interviewed when I wrote the book on the Civil Rights Movement, which is about the hundreds of leaders and organizers in that movement. I completely agree with you that the great man theory of history is very inaccurate. Uh, in fact, uh, one of my arguments is that the movement made Dr. King. Dr. King did not make the movement. He was chosen. It's very interesting looking at the, the women activists in Buffalo because you had women activists in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, who helped that movement uh, Rosa Parks was a part of that, that women's movement there. And so others and uh, leaders in Montgomery, when she refused it, when Parks refused to give up her seat, they came together and they had to make a decision. Who shall we ask to be our spokesperson? And then somebody said, it's got a new preacher in town. Maybe we'll choose Dr. King. So the movement chose Dr. King. So I do want to, to say to you that you are absolutely correct, correct that Hundreds and thousands and millions of people together make change. Individual charismatic leaders alone have never accomplished 
anything. And so I think that your point is right on. And to the degree that I, that we can recognize that people organize, working together creatively make change, then we that what that means, we don't sit around and wait for the next Moses to come along and to free us. We all discover our own role that we uh, that we play in change. And so I hope that, Larry, that you and other filmmakers uh, will continue to make films showing the role that ordinary uh, people play. I mean, even this film, uh, it's inevitable, but even in this film, we focus on three males. Um, and there was so many, there's so much other stuff going on. Uh, you know, even in the NAACP with Fannie Lou Hamer and the Niagara movement with Fannie, not Fannie Lou Hamer, but uh, Ida B. Wells mm. and uh, many other uh, women leaders and so forth during that time. So, yes, I, I, I hope that we continue to see films and books and so forth that focuses on the role of ordinary people and how they help make change. You know, I've received some criticism of the film, and it's always the same thing. It's like, where are the women? Uh -huh. right? And I point out, first of all, that you know, we, the film was about three men, um, but we put the Barbara Pope story in. But then somebody asked me directly, well, where's Ida B. Wells? Mm. Right? Where, where did W.B. Du Bois get his information about lynching? A lot of it came from Ida B. Wells. But the problem is that's another film and you end up getting a diversion into Ida B. Wells. And, well, if this were a two-hour film or even a 90-minute film, maybe that would be appropriate. So this is one of the issues always. Filmmakers get criticized. Why did you leave something out? Well, part of it's an artistic decision, and a part of it is just either not time or money. So, yes, I completely agree. There's a lot more subjects than just, well, I, well, I have my high horse to get on top of. Go for it. Um, Money for documentary films is part of money for arts in the United States. A lot of it comes from government funding initially. NEH, annual allocation, National Endowment for the Humanities, National Endowment for the Arts, it's a couple hundred million dollars. The defense budget is billions and billions and billions of dollars. We're talking about a rounding error, but we have to fight. Every year, there's an attempt to cancel out, zero out all the money for the arts in the United States, and that trickles down to the states as well. So part of the problem is the time it takes to get the funding. So uh, you heard Lynn mention this is a 15-year idea. Right. My films average five years from an idea to finishing, and many of them took eight years because of that. So this is the, the reality of it. Um, so if you're thinking about where what our country's priorities are, this is one of the problems. Great, we have some more questions. Lori, okay. My name is Owen, and my first exposure to the knowledge that the house, housekeeping, the domestic workers strike in Atlanta started the American labor movement. That is the wing of the progressive movement that I come from. My father was a UAW worker and union organizer uh, who suffered quite a bit for that role in his life. Uh, I'm always looking for a way to realize uh, Jesse Jackson's dream of a rainbow coalition to bridge all these uh, 
disenfranchised groups together. I have a very difficult time convincing people who look like me that they belong to the same course of history. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you so much. And I, I don't know if there's uh, some idea there for bridging the gap to the, the, what I refer to as the global um, solidarity of labor. Thank you. Hi, I'm from Fort Erie. I'm very proud to tell you we hosted that Niagara Movement meeting. <laughs> and I do celebrate Niagara Movement. I celebrate all of it. And the reaction to people that visit that site, I've had people kiss the ground. I've had people cry. There are people who weren't aware of the story. And it's a proud story to tell. And I have to say, yes, where was Mary Talbot? She put those 29 men up in her home for one night. So we may not want to mention because it would take another stream, but I thought that was pretty heroic. And also there's so much more to the story. One, um, I, 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 don't, I'm more, I do more of the history hoping it addresses the social issues. So the one thing that I have to tell you is that the Niagara Movement name was chosen as W.E.B. Du Bois was a metaphoric writer they chose Niagara Movement not because of Niagara Falls. Not everything happens in Niagara Falls, by the way, <laughs> right? It was chosen because of the Niagara River, which is one of the fastest running rivers in the world. They wanted to eradicate the lynchings, the segregation, all of that ugliness as fast as the Niagara River moved, thus the name Niagara Movement. But I thank you so much for the film. And the concept of recognition of the site in Fort Erie happened even prior to 15 years ago. Um, Frank Messiah, who many of you would remember here in the city of Buffalo, advocated that for the um, 2009 anniversary of the NAACP, he had wanted to see something happen in Fort Erie. I tried. It didn't happen until 2016 that a plaque went up with wrong information. But mm. it's up there. I've tried to correct it. and We'll keep trying. And oh, last thing. George Henry Jackson, whose picture is missing from the picture of the group of 29, was born in Ontario, Canada. So I just wanted to share that. He was the treasurer of the group. So I just wanted to share that. And thank you so much for putting this film out here. I certainly will be telling the world because I'm very proud to take the people that I take to the site all the time. Love to take you guys if you have a passport. <laughs> Thank you. We have a few more questions. This is not exactly a question. It's actually a gratitude that you've put the message up for the phone number at the end. It's got to be shared. That That is so essential to mm. part of this message, the mental health uh, results of the horrors that we experience. That's one thing I want to say. The next, please, is are there thoughts or other funds to somehow make this so it is available in the schools? I'm so glad you brought that up because that is something we haven't talked about yet. Uh, this, the budget for this film did include funds for significant outreach in the schools. We will have, uh, we have a learning and engagement team that has hired curriculum writers and done writing of their own. There are lesson plans already developed and attached to this film. 
there's a great resource out there called PBS Learning Media. It is a free resource for parents, teachers, mostly used by teachers, right? Uh, but parents and families as well. It's a free website, pbslearningmedia.org, where you can access all of the great public media content that we and other stations produce. And you can look up um, you know, by, by topic, by year, by person, and you can find all of this great information. So we will have a full Niagara Movement collection available to teachers and students for sure. I can give you, yeah, I can give you an example of the kind of thing that you would find on that site. Uh, Mary Talbot was mentioned. Um, so we did try to include that and it just became hard to, to get that, that into the film. But that is very important information. It's really the question of how come they came to Buffalo or Fort Erie. Um, what was the real reason of using the Niagara Movement, a mighty current of protest? That used to be the title of, of, of the film. Um, the National is Organization of Negro Women's Clubs, I think Mary Talbot was a, a member of, and the, the background of how they knew W.E. Du Bois and invited him here, all that, the detail of that. And then the big question is, why did they decide to come to Buffalo in the first place? And there's all kinds of mythology about that. There's a mythology that they booked a hotel in, in Buffalo, but then the, the hotel didn't want away. black people there. But yeah. then it turns out that probably wasn't true. And then maybe it's because there was an Elks convention and the railroad rates were cheaper. So um, Du Bois said, oh, it's better, it's cheaper to bring people here. Um, or the uh, recreational facilities at Fort Erie were better because they wanted to have a vacation while they were here. Right? All those little interesting anecdotes would be something that you would find on the website to go with the film. And that is coming. That's in progress right now. We're building that website. Uh, the PBS Learning Media section is almost completely done, so those will be ready for the November broadcast. And then, you know, as it as it relates to Mary Talbert, I just have to say there are so many stories we could make about Mary Talbert. I produced a documentary a, a, a few years ago, I think just before and a little bit during the pandemic, called Discovering New York Suffrage Stories. And it's the story of four women who were instrumental suffragists across the state of New York. Um, two of them, Mary Talbert, uh, Mary Talbert is featured in the film. We also have three others at different times during that 120 year, 150 year movement, right? Because um, as Dr. Morris said, movements don't happen with one person. They happen with thousands over time. And it, it takes a lot, just like the current of the Niagara, to move all of that water. Um, so check out Discovering New York Suffrage Stories. Great story about Mary Talbert. First of all, c congratulate you guys on, on this film. This was an absolutely astounding film. I'm so glad that you made it. Uh, my name is Calvin Lamar. I grew up in Niagara Falls and I live in Grand Island six months. I live in the uh, Bluffton area of South Carolina the other six months. You'll have to kind of decide where I am for the <laughs> various six months. Uh, it's I, I became interested in trying to get some understanding of the impact of slavery and how it impacts somebody my age. I'm 81 years old right now, and I'm a product of Western New York public uh, school education. I went to UB for my college work, but let me get back to, to my questions. My wife is, is probably going to 
pull my chain in a minute if I <laughs> talk much longer. So the main question that I want to ask is, how can I make this film available to friends and family that I have basically all over the world? Hmm. Uh, we, will, uh, we will have this film available on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel. And that is available all around the world. So uh, please look for that um, and, and share it out. It will be, I think it will be available on YouTube, um, if not November, then certainly early next year when it's available um, and all uh, you know nationwide public television stations will be airing this film in early 2024. Lynn, you just answered my question. Oh, how's it uh, going? <laughs> very good. Well done. And the panel discussion is great, too. Thank you for that. The, uh, uh, the, the question was, we're here in the Niagara region, so we're interested in the Niagara movement, but would it have a national audience? Will PBS be showing it in some national content so Absolutely. that uh, the, the whole country has a sense of this background? Yes, we will be distributing the film Thank nationally. Um, it will be available to stations in January, and many of them will be scheduling it um, uh, in February, but it will be available uh, in, I want to say, as liberal way as a possible as way as possible, because different stations will have different times, different days. It's going to work better in their communities. Um, but we're doing a lot of station outreach to make sure it airs all across the country. Thank you so much for this film. Um, I remember hearing about it on the radio, and I was so excited because I'm like, oh, finally, they're going to talk more about Mary B. Talbert. <laughs> and <laughs> so I do think a part two needs to happen. And many people have asked some of the questions that I'm going to pose. But in addition to curriculum, I think what's important is looking at nonlinear ways to get this message out. And I'm hoping that there's uh, some grant out there or something where there can be experiential learning. Um, I'm Faustinia Morrow, and I created the Harriet Tubman Legacy Project with the intent to trace Harriet Tubman's steps. So I would love to see something where we draw people, you know, the sister who's from Ontario, maybe we draw people um, to, you know, um, Fort Ontario, I mean, mm -hmm. sorry, Fort Erie, and here and do something collaborative across you know the continent because this is something i think this was fabulous i didn't get to see all of it i'm looking forward to seeing most of it um, but i think we need to look at more ways with the use of technology and experiential learning to get the message out faustini i didn't recognize you with the mask on but then when you started talking i was like oh um, it's great to have you, and thank you for bringing that up. You know, we had um, the, the funders, the generous funders who supported this film, have been able to see the film, and they uh, also had wonderful ideas about other ways that we can get this film out into the community. So I would encourage you to stay in touch with us uh, about ways that we can do that. Hi, my name is Sandra Bunkley, and I just want to thank you so much for this wonderful production. It is outstanding and most of my questions have actually been answered because I was going to say something about Mary Talbert too <laughs> okay <laughs> and it's because we live here yeah. and mm -hmm. so I do some volunteer work with the um, 
Michigan Street African American Corridor. So we talk about Mary Talbert and Jesse Nash a lot. So I was just hoping to get a mention. <laughs> but anyway, um, I also just wanted to add that the nuance you provided in terms of um, all the different men that were profiled was very helpful because it's kind of like, you know, you see Du Bois talent at 10th. That's all I saw, you know, because mm -hmm. I went to school 50 years ago and that's all I remember. But showing the nuance, Booker T. Washington, this was really, really helpful. And I just want to thank you for this wonderful movie. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, can I just respond? In some of our test screenings, people said to us, you're making Booker T. Washington into a monster and you have to pull back. He wasn't considered a monster at the time by a lot of people. Uh, he collaborated uh, with uh, the Rosenwald Project to 5,000 schools. He, uh, he, had, he did things that were not public uh, to, to help people and, and even in some of the civil suits. Um, so you've got to really say, give him, give him his due, otherwise it's, 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 it's too one-sided. Um, so I thank you for mentioning the, the nuance. That's something that uh, we were reminded of in our test screenings and fixed the film and made it better. We have time for a few more. Yeah, my name's Sally, and I just want to congratulate the 81-year-old 80, guy over there because I turned 80, and we both look wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, two things. There is a lovely underground museum in Niagara Falls. Mm -hmm. So people that came to Buffalo through the Underground Railroad were transported to Canada through that particular spot. So that might be another reason why the Niagara movement started mm -hmm. here. Secondly, I'm saddened to think that we don't seem to be much farther ahead than we were 50 or 100 years ago with Trayvon Martin, Aubrey, I can't remember his last name, George Floyd. I mean, what, the hate continues, the discrimination continues, and then all the other movements that you said, the, the, the LBGTQ and the um, ethnic problems that we have, I don't know how we get past all that because we just have to hate one another and it's not a good thing. But thank you very much for this lovely program. Thank you. Dr. Morris, I did want to ask you about that. I mean, here we are in 2023. And there's movements for so many different reasons. Um, have we moved that far? And what do we need to do to move? Well, one of the things, um, I've, I have a, a book uh, on uh, W.B. Du Bois. And one of the things that I discovered about him, just not, this is not just me, but many scholars know this, is that he was very international in his thinking very global. He talked about the global color line, and it was not just an, the Negro problem, but it was a global color line having to do with colonialism all over the world. I think, um, you know, I've just been sitting here thinking about the fact that we're talking about movements for justice and, and change, and, and I agree that it's sort of demoralizing the degrees of inequality and violence and so forth that continues to haunt us. At the same time, we all know of this great tragedy that is unfolding in Israel and the Gaza Strip. And one of the things that I would say is that the historic black freedom struggle was always about trying to free humanity. There were many people in the movement, in the civil rights movement, who said outright, that we are not just trying to free us, 
but we're trying to free white people here, Native American people, uh, Hispanic people. We're trying to uh, make a difference in Africa, trying to make a difference in the Middle East. And so what I think that is important is that as we look at the Niagara movement is to try to figure out, are there any lessons that we can learn about this movement that can shed some light about what is going on in the Middle East, what is going on in Israel now, and many other parts of the world, the, the, in, in Russia and Ukraine and so forth. So I think that one of the things we need to do is to work hard toward having an international imagination and just not a parochial imagination. And you, thank you, I agree completely and uh, reminded me of something I wanted to say that's related to us, to, to this and to us. Um, the quality of our leaders really matters. Uh, and one of the reasons you saw uh, April Albright in the film, and if you I don't know if you could see what her title was, but she's uh, one of the founders of Black Voters Matter in Georgia. Now, the only reason I was able to get her and get her in the film is that for the last four years, I've been working with an organization called the Movement Voter Project, which funnels money to progressive groups, mostly people of color, particularly in the swing states, to get people out to vote for progressive causes and candidates. And one of those groups is Black Voters Matter. So I already knew these people, I already been talking with them, and I called the office and said, would you please help me? I need somebody to talk about how do you make the connection between current events and what happened in the past. So at these screenings, people said to me, what can we do? Now, I happen to like Movement Voter Project, movement.vote is the website, but there are other groups, of course, you could support, um, but I think, Put your money where your mouth is. Support the kind of people who are out there getting out to vote for progressive candidates so that we can have better leadership. And I'm not just talking about United States Congress. School boards, city councils are crucial. And for 40 years, forces of reaction have been taking over those organizations. That's why we have problems with book bannings. And and problems in, for example, in Florida, in schools and what's allowed to be taught because of the leadership. So I think what this film is teaching us is that we're all part of this movement and it's not somebody else's problem. We have to take part in it. And if, and if you can't go out and march or if marching isn't satisfying or isn't doing the trick, then you put the money and you give the money to the people on the ground, the communities that you're not going to go to or, not, or can't go to. So that's one, that's my organization. I like movement.vote, movement voter project, but there might be others that you want to support. But, and for me, the good luck was it got me to somebody I could put in the film who could get out that message. I think we've got another question. I don't mean to dominate, but I'm excited. <laughs> so number one, the lady back there was talking about how Ontario and New York State can cooperate I'm not sure if you're aware, but National Park Service, Network to Freedom, are now um, putting, uh, looking for plaques on the Canadian side where there's a Canada-US connection. Um, the US ambassador to Canada 
representing your present president of the United States is advocating activities where we can foster better um, relationships and economic gain between Canada and the United States. So there's ways where we can work together and do things. And the one thing we have to be cognizant of moving forward, my big heartfelt brings tears to my eyes, is that what we have to do is remember when we talk, we're talking to children. We're talking to teenagers who haven't put together their cognitive thoughts and processes very well. I know I wasn't very good as a teenager. wasn't that good in my 20s either. But, you know, I digress. But we have to remember that a lot of this adult hate speech that comes from both sides of the scale is not helpful to our kids. It's really a problem for me when I do these historical tours on the Canadian side. And we have to, your situation here in Buffalo with that white kid who came and he shot the people, he said he was influenced by the internet. Not all kids have parents that are talking to them and may, are aware of what their kids are doing. And these kids are interpreting our adult hate speech. So if we want to make a change, we've got to start both sides. Stop the adult hate speech. Remember, there's some young, impressionable kid out there, uh, whether it be black, white, yellow, red, that are listening to this. And it's not giving them hope and inspiration to carry on. And our kids really, really need that now, I think but that's me. So when we're talking about what we can do to move forward, I think if we temper down our adult hate speech a little bit and remember that kids are watching and inspire them to move forward and know that there's always hope because they really need that hope now. Thank you very much. I am so thrilled with all of the engagement and that you all came out here. I want to thank you all. Let's give you guys a round of applause for now being able to go out and champion this film. At the end, we talked about NAACP and uh, how much progress and success NAACP has had. And it is it includes all voices, right? That's the way forward. We got to include all voices. Stay with us. There's more to come. This is What's Next on WBFO. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Welcome back to What's Next. We've been listening to a panel discussion about the Niagara Movement, the early battle for civil rights. That documentary airs tonight on WNED-PBS. We also had a chance to get into detail with Lynn Bader, Buffalo, Toronto Public Media's vice president of original content creation. Lynn Bader says much of the story revolves around the views of three major African-American figures of the early 20th century. Booker T. Washington, who was the de facto leader of a black America that said racial segregation was the way to move forward and two men who held drastically different views, sociologist W.E.B. Du Bois and newspaper publisher William Monroe Trotter, who brought their perspectives to Buffalo in 1905 for a meeting with other thinkers and leaders in what would become known as the Niagara Movement. So the documentary is the story of these three men. It's almost like you're telling the same story, but through the perspectives of each of these three men. And, you know, in the end, the Niagara Movement didn't survive more than a few years. But what it did is set up for what became the NAACP. So a simple question. Why Buffalo? 
I think that there are differing opinions on why they came to Buffalo. Buffalo. Some people um, point to people like Mary Talbert, right, and others, Frederick Douglass, people who were here in Western New York, who were already a you know a part of the same thinking, um, and so they knew folks in Buffalo. In addition. There's there's thoughts about how maybe they wanted to go over to Canada and stay at this hotel because they felt like they would be safer. Mm-hmm. Others say they picked Canada as the hotel because they couldn't get a hotel in Buffalo. Wow. So I think there's still some legend out about why exactly. But Buffalo was the was a place um, where where W.E.B. Du Bois had an exhibit at the Pan Am that really heightened the intellect of black Americans at the time. Again, quite along his thinking. It was in severe contrast to another exhibit that was on the Pan Am called Darkest Africa. And so we have people like our own Barbara Seals Nevergold, Dr. Dr. Nevergold, who appear in this film to kind of set the stage for, for why Buffalo. While the documentary, The Niagara Movement, The Early Battle for Civil Rights, takes us back almost 120 years, Lynn Bader believes it offers modern-day America an opportunity to take a critical look at itself. Well, we're in a really critical moment right now, I think, in our country, with the polarity and the division, um, the conversations about race, um, the conversations about racism, and the acts that we've seen happen uh, by way of cell phone footage where, you know, the the undeniable can't be denied or the deniable can't be denied. And I think that we are at a critical juncture in order to look at a story that happened, gosh, over 100 years ago. And the way in which you move forward and, and really by having this division and having this conflict with the way forward is the thing that gets in the way of moving forward. And, and we see that now. So I think that, of course, things were very different back then. But you do, as you watch this film, begin to ask yourself, how much progress have we made? This production is being done by public media, of mm-hmm. course, produced by public media. What makes perhaps a public media production in 2023 different than maybe what we might see in all the other many, well, <laughs> many places we can find productions these days? <laughs> well, exactly. You know, I think about the streaming services that are available and the other places that a story about the Niagara movement might exist. I think what's unique about um, this production and having it available uh, through the PBS system and as a part of public media are all of the additional resources that we provide. So the film's budget had um, a robust section that was dedicated to learning and engagement, mm-hmm. right? So on the website, uh, the niagaramovement.org, you will see that there are curriculum resources. There are at least six lesson plans that go along uh, with the film that will be distributed through PBS Learning Media. And that's really where I feel like um, we get some depth and we have ability to make change, to make a difference, right? You might catch the documentary, but you know, if you're a middle schooler and normally in your history book you had two paragraphs on the Niagara movement, right. now you have so much more. It just it's it's an amazing resource for teachers and for students and for families. 
Monday night? Monday night at 9 p.m. right here on WNED PBS. Excellent. Lynn, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This has been What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.